Welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the show, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hey everyone, how are you? This is episode number 24 of the podcast, and I'm so glad you're here. We're covering a topic that got a lot of uh, buzz, I guess you could say, last month when we covered a similar topic with Camille Ward. She spoke about caretaking for her mom, and she did that from a very early age as her mom had a chronic illness that left her wheelchair bound, and she needed a lot of assistance. Well, today I'm talking with Elizabeth Adams, who has also been a caretaker, but more to her elderly parents. And she's sharing about what she has learned from caretaking slash caregiving. And she defines what the difference is between the two of those. And we talk about the ways to help and best support your grandparents, your parents as they're aging. And it's just a really valuable conversation. We talk a lot about maintaining the dignity of people as they're getting older and keep allowing them to keep some of the power and the control when they do need a lot of assistance. It's a really powerful conversation. She has a new book coming out that we're all going to chat about. It's really awesome. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Elizabeth Adams. All right. I'm so excited to be chatting with Elizabeth Adams today. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Jessica. I'm so excited to meet you. I've heard such wonderful things and have heard so much great things about your book. And the topic we're going to be covering today is very tender and just wonderful. So I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thank you for having me on. I've been listening to some of your podcasts and your energy is just contagious. So I appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure to give a platform to mothers' voices who may not ever have their story told anywhere else on, you know, a larger microphone. And there's just so much we can learn from each other. And I just hope that both the guests and the listeners feel boosted every time they listen. Well, you are accomplishing that so far, so thank you. Thank you. That's so nice. Well, for people that may not know you, Elizabeth, will you just give a little background on yourself and your family? Uh, yes, I am a mother of three grown children, three daughters who are wonderful. Uh, my oldest has given me three of the most amazing grandchildren ever born on the face of the earth. <laughs> I hate to say it, but they are the best. Um, my husband and I have been married and together for 38 years. And I uh, returned to college to get my master's degree in theology about uh, five years ago, and it totally changed my life. Amazing. Had you worked prior, had any type of um, college experience before? Um, I'm a cultural anthropologist and sociologist, and my husband and I were were very fortunate. We've lived all over, uh, really all over the world, helping to... Uh, start different types of uh, mission churches and feeding programs and AIDS clinics and this kind of thing. So where have you lived? Uh, Harare, Zimbabwe, uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, seven states in the U.S., yeah, I've drugged my poor children everywhere. They're they they're full of wanderlust, those. Yeah, that that can ignite the bug of adventure, and then it can also be like it's hard to start over, right? So we've moved a lot. Yeah. My husband has been in the military, and um, we've done nine, nine moves in twelve years. It's been a lot of moving for my kids, and they're only elementary age. But this last move we just did in December it was kind of like 
This is the first one where they were really felt the weight of giving up a life that they loved and having to transition and start fresh. And that felt heavy and big to them. So how have you helped your kids to develop the characteristics and the ability to transition well, knowing full well, it's never easy, but how can you transition well? Right. Well, I love that question in that um, my husband and I just moved back home to Kentucky. We've been gone for 30 some odd years and um, all of our children graduated and moved all over the world. So we kind of stuck that wanderlust into them. But our oldest daughter is married to a Coast Guard okay. uh, gentleman. So I understand that having to move around a lot. And yeah. I'm, I'm very proud of her with that. She, she does a really great job having three children and still, I think they've been placed five different states mm-hmm. in, in his career. So that is, it's very difficult. But to your point is, is what works well. And I think the biggest thing that works well is finding a community to help you. Nobody can do this alone. Mm-hmm. You, you can, but you don't really want to. It gets very <laughs> difficult, right? So find yourself some really great moms with children the same age and then grow them up together. It's, it's a whole lot more fun that way. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I don't know about you, but as you were moving around, I was somebody that grew up in the same place near family for my first 22 years of my life. And then I started moving after I got married. And to me, normal was having roots, living in the same place forever, having the same friends I've known and went to school with since kindergarten. Like that was what I expected my adult life to be like. And that's what I wanted to offer my children as well. Because I thought that was the right way because that's how I was raised. (laughs) I think we all kind of think that. So when I started moving, A, moving can be hard and everything, but then I also realized, wow, it's a big wide world and there's so many people to meet and things to experience and there's a lot of beauty in that, but I also always felt a pull to be closer to family and to have those tight-knit relationships with my kids having, you know, their grandparents nearby and cousins and everything. How did you kind of navigate that? Because I know that caretaking and familial bonds are very important to you as well. So how did you navigate that? Um, I think that it helps that I had a very tight knit family. It sounds like you, you do too. Mm -hmm. So when I would come home for the holidays, we just had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of time together. We, even if we weren't in the same state, we talked all the time. I, every morning I'd call my mother and unload the dishwasher while I was talking to my mother. So, you know, they're just things you put into place so that you can stay bonded. I don't think you have to be in the same house or, or necessarily even the same city. But my children, we vacationed with my cousins and my aunts and my uncles as well. So my children know their cousins very well. And now their children are playing with their cousins' children. And they, we play a lot. We all play a lot, whether it's board games or outdoors or camping. So we're making those memories even when we're not together very often. Hmm. I love that. So I love that point too. You don't have to live in the same city to have those bonds. And I mean, there's so many resources available with technology and things like that. I mean, staying connected is easier than ever if we put the intention behind it to let it be used in that way. Right? Right. I get a phone call at least once a week from at least one grandchild who's FaceTiming me. And it's wonderful. Just me and that child hang out. Of course, I'm looking at the the ceiling and the ceiling fan quite often because she's not great at that. (laughs) As long as she sees me, she assumes I can see her. But, you know, it's special to me that she's dialing me and then walking around and talking with me. That's very special. Absolutely. Oh, I know. And then they get so mad when you try and reposition the phone. Like, no, tilt it down so they can see you. And they're like, ah. 
yes like yeah that's the phase that we're in as well for sure Hey everyone, I wanted to jump in real quick and thank one of our show sponsors today, and that is Third Love. I don't know about you, but after a long day of an uncomfortable bra situation, I just want to get the darn thing off. Well, Third Love has addressed that very issue and provided lots of additional sizes, comfort options, and everything in order to address this issue of women feeling comfortable in their bra and having the correct fit. That is so huge. You see, Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who've taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for the perfect fit and premium feel. There's a lot of things that I love about Third Love. I've been wearing their bras for about a year and a half maybe now, and it's all I wear. I promise you, it is all I wear because they're this fantastic. They have a 100% fit guarantee. So that means you have 60 days to wear it, wash it, put it to the test. And if you don't absolutely love it, you can return it and they will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. So you can rest assured that they are gonna make every purchase right and you're gonna end up loving your bra. This is hands down the most comfortable bra you'll ever own. The straps won't slip. They have tagless labels. They're thin, memory cup foam uh, cups. I mean, it's just, it is a fantastic bra and over 12 million women have taken the Fit Finder quiz. And I would be curious to know, are you in the correct size bra today? I bet maybe not. So Third Love knows there is a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash EEP now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash EEP for 15% off today. I love Third Love and you are going to love it too. When you support the podcast sponsors, you are also supporting the podcast. So I thank you very much and thanks to Third Love for sponsoring the show. Now let's get back to it. And so now that you're in this season where your kids are grown and doing their own things and your parents were aging, you started to assume a caretaker role for them. And that's what we're going to talk about today. This is an area you're very passionate about and have a lot of experience in. So we kind of paint the picture for how you took on that role and kind of what you learned through living that out. Um, Well, I'm not too sure if many people knew. I didn't know until I kind of got stuck in this journey, but there's over 63 million Americans right now today caring for aging parents and grown children. Wow. They're living together. These are multi-generational families that are very normal in America, but we don't talk about them. Um, What is talked about is um, if you are an adult living in your parents' home, it's assumed because of media or comedy or whatever that that person isn't necessarily a very together person and you know the 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 pictures of the creepers that live in the basement or whatever but that's really not what's happening Mm -hmm. we have so many people um ages in their 30s living at home with their parents because they can't afford to pay their student loans Mm -hmm. on top of uh they haven't found a job yet after graduating college or maybe there's a divorce and their children And so many people are actually living with their parents, as my children were doing. My older children were living with me at the same time I was taking care of my older parents. And so I'm stuck in this, what they call the sandwich generation, of whose needs am I taking care of? Oh, everybody's but my own. Hmm. And what that did is that made me very tired and made me actually very angry at sometimes. And it took a lot of the joy, because I'm a very joyful person. to play and it took away all my playtime. I was so busy taking care of people and saying yes to the next need that I thought I was expected to take care of. So I had to learn how not to do that. 
Right. Believe it or not, this is a, <laughs> to teach you how not to take care of people as much as how to take care of people. Okay, so what were some of the pitfalls that you were facing? So obviously you were not on your own list for being taken care of when you're you know, juggling the needs of many other people. So mm-hmm. yeah, so, so what else? What other types of pitfalls did you find yourself falling into that you knew needed to be addressed? Um, I thought I was alone. Mm. I really thought I was the only one doing this. And I think a lot of it had to do with I was doing so much. I wasn't reaching out and seeing what other people were doing. And I think that's what happened differently for me is because um, I was a a pastor. A lot of people were coming to me and telling me that they were living this too. So I started talking to people about, okay, tell me what's working for you. Tell me what's not working for you. Tell me what you think you can learn from this that you could teach other people. What, how is your family changing as a result of, because nobody is, is ready for their parent to have a stroke or to have a heart attack, or to age and fall. Nobody really prepares to say, oh, I can't wait until I grow up, I have my own house, and now I've got my parents moving back in with me. Nobody really thinks those things. So how do you start thinking them in a very positive way, in a very connected way, and how do you start working as a community that works together instead of one person doing everything or assuming the roles that they feel like they should be doing? Instead of just asking the questions of, okay, how do we work together as a family to make this great? Right. And I'm seeing this with my own mom taking care of um, her parents. They live in an assisted living home, not far from our home, but she spends a lot of time over there. And it's not only the logistics that can Mm -hmm. be taxing and exhausting, but the emotions that come with simply recognizing, wow, this is a chapter that will end eventually and things are changing and they're not able to do the things they used to do and offer me the same things they used to offer me and just the changing of roles and the awareness that change in general is hard. Even when you know getting older is part of life, accepting that, wow, it's really sad that they've slowed down so much. It's really sad that the thoughts that used to be so sharp and on the tip of their tongue are slower to come by. Like that's not how they used to be. So that emotional grief and acceptance is also a huge part of this. Right. Yeah. Right. Like that can be really hard. And that is how you take care of yourself. Mm. And I'm going to use it as, as an example. I hope you don't mind. You've mentioned that your, your yes. mom is there quite often. Yes. And you think, well, you know, she's, they're in a facility, so the majority of their needs are being taken care of. Well, that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. What your mom is dealing with is also now all the decisions that have to be made. Mm-hmm. And helping her mom or her, is this her mother Both. and her father? Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So helping them negotiate this, because I'm sure if she's there a lot, she's seeing um, what they're afraid to ask each other mm-hmm. or tell each other mm-hmm. or what she feels like they should be talking to the doctor about Mm -hmm. and who's taking care of these details that happen with the doctor because maybe your parents, like a lot of people's parents, when they reach this, um, forget they've even gone to the doctor. Right. Or what they said, or they hear something different than they they come home reporting back and it's like, oh, is that really what was said? And there's worry about that miscommunication. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what, what medicines are you on now? Uh-huh. Well, why are you on these now? And so there's, there's an emotional exhaustion that happens. So you have to learn how, um, there's, there's many, many ways I've, I've put exercises behind every chapter in my book, easy ways to do things that make you stop and just ask yourself some questions. Am I reacting to what I just saw 
or am I reacting to the fact that I'm now mothering my mother? And I'm not saying that's even a good thing to do. Mothering your mother isn't a good thing because you're taking away some more of their their privilege. Mm -hmm. For example, Mm -hmm. as you age, you lose your hearing, you lose your sight, you lose mobility. So it's a lot of loss that's happening. Mm -hmm. And now if you're going in and you're trying to mother them, you're also taking away their role Mm -hmm. of being your mother. Yeah. Even though you think it's for the good of them. Right. 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 And we know that we have the right motivation of just wanting to help and wanting to keep them safe and keep them as healthy as possible and things. But there's been a lot of pushback when, you know, my mom tries to mother too much her mother because that's not a good feeling to feel like somebody's trying to micromanage your life when you felt like you used to have the power and you simply don't anymore. Right. And you've, you've lost so much that most people don't think about. You don't choose what's for dinner. Now it's great having somebody else make you dinner. Right, right. But you can't even choose something that simple anymore. Mm-hmm. So if a grown child comes in and starts making decisions for you, instead of learning how to ask you what you need, mm-hmm. which is a whole other talent, a whole other skill you need to learn how to do, um, you're going to you're going to have fights for lack of a better word there's you use the word pushback which mm-hmm. i think is a really good word some mm-hmm. people use stubborn mm-hmm. some people mm-hmm. yeah. you know there there are all kinds of moods that happen here um sometimes it gets so bad and you know i've i've been questioning hundreds and hours of people and sometimes it gets so bad that people just pull away and don't even want to participate and then you've got to deal with some of the grief that happens when family members are on different pages, one doesn't want to talk about mom and dad, one only wants to talk about mom and dad. Now, how are you guys going to work as siblings? Mm-hmm. So there's just some basics of family learning to work together, and you aren't the big sister, and you aren't the little brother, and you aren't, you're removing those roles of, okay, how do we care for our parents as they age, which is a different adult question. Right. And if you've never done it before, you've never done it before. And you can't possibly know how to do it the right way. So it does take a lot of learning and education that I think most people don't seek out when they're going through this, right? And so I'm grateful for books like yours. So tell everybody, what is your book? What's the title? And what's the basic premise that it's helping people with? It's called Living with Mama. I'm a Southern girl, so it's (laughs) M-O-M-M-A, Mama, right? Uh Uh, Living with Mama, A Good Person's Guide to Caring for Aging Parents, Adult Children, and Ourselves. Now, that sounds simple, um, but what I see and what I've seen over the years is is we're all caretakers. We want to take care of our parents, but we forget to be caregivers, and that's a different thing. A caretaker is somebody that does all the details, right, and and pays the maybe even has to pay the bills for your parents or maybe has to make sure that their lawn is mown or, or their, their mom has lost something or she's lost on the side of the road. So that's a caretaker. They're taking care of all the details. A caregiver is somebody who walks along with you and participates in this very deeply spiritual, profound journey. Mm -hmm. End of life is a beautiful, profound journey. If you're willing to go there. Right. And illness is a beautiful, profound journey. If you're willing to go there instead of just fight it and just feel like you've, you've got to do well, really, you really can't do anything, right? Yeah. You feel like if you just do these things, they will all get better. No, it's the next day. It's the next issue. And, okay, you're, my mother um, battled with cancer for 15 years. She was quite a warrior. You know, wow. she's, she was inspiration to a lot of amazing people. 
but that's 15 years of me serving this woman that could demolish our relationship, especially living in two different, three different States as we were and having three teenage daughters at the time and being in grad school and, and Oh, being a wife, my poor husband, good luck, right? <laughs> good luck. So how do you do your daily? Yes, I'm still a mother. I'm still a daughter. I'm still all those things. And be happy at the end of the day when you climb into bed and say, ah, that was a good day and let it go. And that takes the spiritual questions that you're going to need to ask yourself so that when you, you lay your head down at night, you'd say, okay, that was good. Time to rest. Time to get up tomorrow at six or seven or whatever it is and start again. Hey everyone, I wanted to jump in one last time and thank our other show sponsor, and that is BetterHelp. I am a big proponent of getting the mental health support that you need, and at different points in your life, you may find those needs vary, and I'm a big fan of therapy. I put on an episode called Why I Go to Therapy, but I get a lot of pushback, speaking of pushback, from people saying, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, and even people feeling like they don't have it hard enough for it to warrant actual help and support from a professional. Well, that is simply not true. And BetterHelp is trying to solve this problem for people. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you to your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating with them online in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not just self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network. So you can get a great fit for where you're at and what you are in need of. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime, send a message to your counselor, you'll get timely, thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly phone or video sessions that can provide that one-on-one personal help that you might be in need of. And you never have to sit in a waiting room. And it's also much more affordable, which solves another issue many people face. So visit betterhelp.com EMP and join the over 500,000 people that are taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. For Extraordinary Mom podcast listeners, you get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com EMP. I would love for you to take care of yourself this summer. Check out BetterHelp to achieve that. Thanks so much, BetterHelp. Now let's finish up my conversation with Elizabeth. And that seems like a tall order. It does. And I think that's why a lot of people do shy away from, I can't, this is too much. I can't handle this. And so then they hire it out or, you know, push that off to, to other people or things like that because it just does feel like a lot. But I know as a young mother, I work so hard on building bonds with my kids and fostering that relationship and being intentional and being educated about the best practices for building those bonds and things like that. So now as you are seeking to care for your mom and as your roles have changed a bit and as she has changed in her abilities and mentally and physically and all of these things and and you've changed too. What are the questions that you're, that you're alluding to that we can ask in order to foster how to really meet their needs in a way that doesn't feel forceful or, you know, not going to elicit that, that pushback. Like we're trying to take all the power away. Well, I'm going to tell you the biggest thing that I've learned how to do is say the words I need. And I had to learn how to identify what is it that I need? And be okay with getting it and asking for it. Now, let me, let me give you an example of this. When my mother was first ill, um, I would drive back and forth once a month to Kentucky. 
And my plan was I would clean her house from top to bottom, fill her food with her refrigerator, and go back home because she also had her sisters and my brother and other people taking her back and forth to chemo every week and, and you know all the details with that. This is something I knew I could give her. I could give her a clean house and a place to sit in her bathroom when she was going to be sick after chemo. Mm -hmm. It was a safe, clean place. Now, I gave her that because that's also something that I like doing. You know, it, to walk into a clean house is almost impossible when you have three children, much less three teen children, right? So I was giving my mother really what I wanted. And I had to learn what it is that I needed by seeing what it was I was giving my mother and asking myself these questions. So what was happening was, is after doing this for years and years and years, I was so tired that I fell asleep in the drive through line in a McDonald's in my car. And I thought I was just driving through to get some iced tea and keep driving. And I had gotten so tired that I would fall asleep in the car. Thank you, Lord, I wasn't still driving, right? right? right. That could have really been horrible. So I had to stop and start learning how to ask myself, what do I need today? And not be mad that it hasn't been met. Because my first instinct is to be like, well, why doesn't anybody take care of me? I mean, that's that's my sinful side of, you know, who's taking care of me? Or who's going to notice me when I get angry? Or when I feel like um, somebody should take care of me, right? So I had to start thinking, okay, what is it that I need? And how can I be a, a daughter who... Let's my mother know that I love her without feeling like I'm failing because I don't have to do things to prove that. That's a new concept to me. I thought love is something you do, right? Right. And well, we often, sorry to interrupt, we often give love in the same way we would want to receive it, like you're saying. So I think exactly. the Love Languages books are so fantastic because when we realize it is a fruitless energy suck if we're simply extending love only in the way that we would want to receive it if the person receiving it doesn't read it that way it's just exactly. action it's not actually love mm -hmm. exactly mm -hmm. and i love i love those books I've, I've i've loved the ones that have to do with just you and your spouse and i've also loved the ones that have to do with the children yes. i think that's something to think about when we start thinking about how do we do that with our parents too because you're yeah. now allowing your parent to be their own individual adult wow instead of my mom <laughs> right that's a different thing. Your children look at you right now. I'm assuming they're all under the teenage years and they see you as an extension of them. You meet their needs. You are their mom. And it's hard to let go of those things and be the daughter that doesn't expect things or get too disappointed when your parent can't give you those things anymore. Hmm. That's a yeah. whole nother cycle there. That's a whole new type of growing up. Wow. And so if you simply swapped out the activity of cleaning the house for another activity or time spent or way of communicating with your mom that actually hit at the core of how she felt your love, just swapping exactly. that energy, then you wouldn't build up kind of that resentful exhaustion. I talked about this right. a few weeks ago with another guest. When you're doing the things that you think you should be doing and need to do, but they're not actually the things that you have to be doing, you can you mm -hmm. can get resentful. That's when you do get resentful and you depleted. But when you're doing the things you feel called to do and you know you're in the right place at the right time doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, it fills you up. Yes, you're tired, but it's it's not depleting. Did you find that? Exactly. exactly. And that's the total difference right there between a caretaker and a caregiver. Mm. 
total difference right there. And so if you start asking yourself questions and reframing them, and I, I leave a lot of open-ended questions as, as you go through these um, exercises uh, that I have in the book. Now, it sounds like this is a huge book. It's not. It's very <laughs> small. We use, I use the same three questions through the whole book, but I, I readdress it. For example, one of the things that uh, – a particular mother was struggling with when her grown son moved home was the fact that he really was messy, extremely messy. And she was dealing with a big mess at work. She was dealing with a big mess um, from a previous divorce. I mean, she felt like her whole house and, and workplace was a mess. And she, she was taking it out on her son, really. And what she had to start thinking to herself was, what is the best thing about him living in this house with me? She had to start reframing who she knew her, her son was. And that's what I do a lot. I had to start reframing what um, a family member who, in my own particular life, I have a family member who struggles with substance abuse. And I have to remember who they really are and who they really were created to be and how much fun and how many great things we've done together as opposed to the, the latest hard time, for lack of a better word hurtful incident it happens when your your parent is suffering and you're seeing them in pain you want to immediately say okay where's the doctor let's get them something a painkiller mm -hmm. that might not be what they need they might just need you to sit there and just listen and cry with them and that can be really hard and i've seen this with a lot of people um i know that have, have been in similar roles where you hear the same stories again and again, and you might be looking at your watch like, okay, I've only got an hour, and it and it feels a little like it's not necessarily what you would love to be doing, and that sounds terrible. It sounds terrible, and it's not that you don't love the person, but how do you kind of compartmentalize, I'm doing this because I love them, and I'm showing my love to them. Um, it's right. not about me right now. I mean, maybe I just answered my own question. Maybe that's it. <laughs> you did. <laughs> You totally did. Yeah. It's not about you in that minute, but it's yeah. hard to think that way unless you're already starting in those thought processes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's right. She does have dementia. She doesn't remember she told me this an hour ago. I know I've heard it 45 times. She, she has not know. said it 45 times. Yeah. And you have a lot more compassion. Like, oh, right. bless her heart. Here she goes again on that same story. But obviously it's a story that matters to her. You know, and so just being patient. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And so as somebody that is not my grandparents' direct caregiver or caretaker, well, I guess I am a caregiver, right? You don't have to be a full-time caregiver to be a caregiver, right? <laughs> well, I think that you already are a caregiver. You've okay. got three children that depend on you. You're yeah. a caregiver. Right. But in the capacity of like my grandparents right now, I often feel like I should be doing more. But mm -hmm. my own logistical limitations and my own needs of my own immediate family, I just feel pulled. And like, I, I don't have all the time I need or would wish to, to devote to them. So what questions can I ask or what could my role be that could really be meaningful but may not, you know, be a primary caretaker or caregiver role for my grandparents? I think that's a brilliant question. I think the first thing that I would do is journaling goes a long way in this. Mm, okay. So if you're doing a lot of reflective journalism, ask yourself that question. What can I do to make them feel that I love them? Okay. okay. 
and write a list. Maybe it's 10 things. And maybe as you're writing those 10 things, you now see how you can fulfill these things with what you already are doing. For example, uh, your children draw pictures. Awesome. You've now got a packet to send to your grandparents of the pictures from their grandchildren. You have not got two birds with one stone. Everybody's happy. Yay. That wasn't stressful. Right. Yes. I love that. So what am I already doing that can simply be an extension of my love? Love it. Exactly. Because yes, we do need individual time with individual people. I don't, I'm not saying we don't, but if you're already going to the grocery store and you already know that your child likes macaroni and cheese and it's on sale, you just instinctively pick it up. Right. So it's the same thing with caring for uh, your husband or your mother now who's caring for her grand- her parents. You see something that your mother may need this week, like her own, I don't, I, I don't know your mother, but my mother loved anything that had to do with cats, mm-hmm. right? So I see something that cost 50 cents. It had a cat on it. I would then give her this in a little goodie bag with a wrapping paper on it. And she thought I handed her the moon. (laughs) So if you've already got the things written down, you've now got them consciously inside your head for the week. So you can go ahead and do it. Yeah. I, so I wonder now that you have been a caretaker for your mother and now you're caring for your husband's parents and your father, you've had a lot of experience in this role now. I wonder, Mm -hmm. as you yourself now, year after year, we all get older every year, that's the way life works, how has it shifted how you want to be cared for by your children eventually and what role you want them to play when it comes time for those roles to be reversed for you? Well, that's a brilliant question. Um, And I'm going to start it off with saying that each and every one of those, uh, each and every person that I've cared for has been different. And they've pulled something different out of me. Same thing with my own children. My children all have their mother's sick sense of humor and and love of sparkly, blingy things. But they're all very different. So how I would want my children differently is something that I've already started now. I'm best friends with my daughters. Absolute best friends. I'm not someone who tells them what they need to do. I'm not someone who feels like... um, I can tell you how to do it better because I've already done it. But these are all roles I've had to learn how to do because naturally I would fall better into the, okay, it's, it's now eight o'clock. Everybody get up and eat role, which is very insulting Mm -hmm. if you're a 30 year old woman. Mm -hmm. Right. So I had to learn those roles, but to answer your question, what I'm already doing differently is what I've started on. Now I tell them this, this is where the will is. This is what we've decided. This is uh, our medical uh, situations. Your father's in charge of this. Who would like to be in charge of um, our medical decisions? Who would like to be in charge of uh, having our African gray, which is going to outlive us because those parrots (laughs) live to be 75? I don't just assume that I know what they want. Hmm. And then I also don't assume that it starts today and ends today, what they want and who they are is different this year than who they are 10 years from now. So having that constant conversation um, and not waiting until it's almost too late to make some of those rational decisions because when emotions play into it and age and everything, selling the house can be a monumental thing. You know, medical decisions, things like that. 
to decide those things ahead of time, you know all those things are coming. So simply giving some forethought to them and communicating your desires and wishes and getting input ahead of time so that it's not catching you off guard when it is a really critical moment to make a decision sounds like a much better place to be in. And it's participatory right now. Sure. Yes. Everyone's involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My children know I moved back to Kentucky and we downsized our house and we we had a house built that we could retire into. The bathrooms are larger so that if we need to have a cane or a, a walker, it will get us into where we can walk into the loo with those things. So I, we've already decided to do that, but I'm still very young. My husband and I, we're just in our late 50s. We're very young. Mm-hmm. But our children are part of this conversation now. Mm-hmm. I love that. So it's normal, doesn't it? It makes it very normal when things shift and change. Right. And and there's so many people you see the scenes in hospitals where it's like, I don't know what they want. And I just can't imagine having that burden of, you know, going through things. Like, it's just, yeah, that's hard. So to, to, to not have it in that heightened emotional state and just very right. rationally have these conversations, like, this is life. It's not meant to be morbid. Or, you know, anything like that. You're certainly not going to number your own days, right? And so it's just a matter of being prepared. So I know that there's likely somebody listening who feels guilty about, you know, not doing enough, kind of like what I was speaking to before, not doing enough for whether it's their parents or their grandparents or things like that. Or they feel guilty that they feel limited by what their life looks like when they are in that caretaker caregiver type role so what do you mm-hmm. say to that person that feels intimidated um and like they're not doing it right wow they're not doing it right i think that's a whole nother issue isn't it uh-huh. <laughs> it really is um, they're not doing it right um you need to learn to love yourself a little bit better to begin with because there is no right or wrong this is just love this is just life and if you want to do more then how can you do more And quite often that just means you ask a lot of people a lot of questions. And if you don't have time to do that, then read this book and read whatever else I put out on livingwithmama.com. Find somebody that has this information. There's tons of caregiver sites out there right now. Just read what other people are already doing and copy it. We don't have to invent the wheel. (laughs) Just copy it. There's there's wonderful uh, venues. And, for example, my talent, obviously, is going to be Um, to get people to answer questions. But not everybody has that talent. Mm -hmm. So read whatever is available, whether it's my book or whether it's online forums like caregivers.com or AARP, and just spend a little time on your cell phone reading through these things and see what it is that will fit within what you do well already. Yeah, and I love what you mentioned earlier about writing down the ways that you can show love to another person. And that can apply to anybody in your life where you feel like you're wanting to to deepen the bond. So write it down for your kids. And every single person is so, so different. And so maybe spending more time with one child is really going to make a difference. But for another child, maybe it's a simple outing to the store where they get to pick out a treat at the gas station. You know, like write down that list for your kids. Write it down for your own parents. Write it down for your grandparents. Write it down to anybody you're wanting to afford that bond, bond with. And just do one of those things this week or this month, just pick one to start with. Don't get overwhelmed about the grandeur of it all or the amount of time, but it's about the intention, isn't it? 
Exactly. It's mm. all about the intention. And it's getting back to noticing it because you aren't so busy doing things. Yeah. I love that. And having that concrete piece of paper listing out, okay, you know, I'm having a rough time with my oldest son this week, so let's do, yeah, I'm going to go out and play soccer in the backyard with him. That seems to be a great thing that's worked in the past, so we haven't done that in a while. Let's go do that, right? And just starting, starting there. So tell me, all of your books, do you have multiple books? I have my second one should be coming out. Well, I'll be finishing my second one in the next couple of months. Yay. And it's, these are... Um, really for all the different stages. So the second one is for people in their 60s and 70s because they contact me and said, hey, where's my book? I want one for me. How do I do this? And then the third one that I'm working on is for millennials, how to help your parents as they're doing this. So it's a series, a Living With Mama series. I love it. What good work. And I had no idea there was, you know, not just you, but an abundance of resources in this. And I see so many people just winging it. And they don't have to, <laughs> right? Yeah, There's support out there. There is. Well, this has just been such a wonderful conversation, Elizabeth. I always ask my guests three final questions. And the first one is, what would you say is your purpose? Uh, right now, my purpose is to be a caregiver to caregivers. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. You're doing it. What makes you smile? Every time singing with my grandbabies. Oh, what do you love to sing? Uh, it doesn't matter. It does not matter because they are all different ages. And, you know, the seven-year-old will sing some Brad Paisley, but the two-year-old will sing Itsy Bitsy Spider. I don't care. We are just singing and dancing all the whole time we're together. That's so amazing. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old, and I was teaching him Rainbow Connection and Puff the Magic Dragon the other day. Oh, yeah. So we're singing those, and then I hear him singing rainbow connection (laughs) I guess we kind of went back and forth too many times that he got but at least he was singing the right tune with one and the right words with another but rainbow connection so we got it we got to keep working on that but (laughs) well see you gave me a great idea because my five-year-old loves anything dinosaur so I gotta do puff the the magic magic dragon yes I gotta do that one good 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 and the last question, Elizabeth, is the mission of this whole podcast, and that's really to help both the guest and the listeners to realize how extraordinary they truly are. And it's not about what they're doing, but it's just about the innate value that they have and the attributes that make them truly extraordinary. And it's a lot of times the things that we're just doing naturally that we're not giving much credence to every day that really are the things that are tr- incredible and impactful. And when we believe in that value, we can do so much more with it. So I want to know, Elizabeth, for you, what would you say makes you extraordinary? Um, that's that's a brilliant question. What makes me extraordinary? Actually, I am learning curious people. And that makes me young and that makes me happy. I love to hear what people have learned today. That, that's a common question at, my, at the dinner table. So what did you learn today? Mm. And, and getting into that... A space where we're, we're now talking to each other about, well, I learned this and I learned that. And when I saw this and I saw that, and it's just so bonding and connecting. And isn't that an extraordinary place to be in? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To be curious and yeah, to realize yeah. That there's learning all around us all the time if we're looking for opportunities. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for taking the time. I'm going to link to everywhere people can find your books and find you online. Is there anywhere else people should be looking for you? 
Uh, if you go to livingwithmama.com, I have all those resources for free. There are resources and um, links and connections and web pages. Just go on and get all that stuff for free. Love it. Love it. Well, this has just been such a great conversation. I'm going to make my list today for my grandparents, and I'm going to pick one thing, and I'm going to do it and be really intentional about how to communicate love to them and not just keep doing the things that may not even be serving them that well, but take up my time. I'm going to swap it out. (laughs) Brilliant. Enjoy. Thank you. I hope you learned a lot from that conversation with Elizabeth. So whether you're in a time in your life where you are starting to take care of your loved ones, whether it be your parents, your grandparents, things like that, or whether this just gives you food for thought of how to better pay attention to and meet the needs of elderly neighbors. And even if you can relate this back to parenting and being a caregiver to your children and offering that and showing them love the way they want to receive love and you know having a list of things that would mean a lot to them and fill their buckets, I mean, that in and of itself is a great strategy and a great lesson that we can apply to all the relationships in our lives. And I think that is so, so powerful. I would love for you to check out Elizabeth's book if you think it would be helpful for you in the season that you're in. And links to all of that will be over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDahlquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. So grateful that you tuned in today. Grateful for all of your support of the show. And I hope you get a lot out of these every week. So we will see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.